Hello and welcome to Antidote with Rain Lawrence. I'm joined today by Leonie Rainbird Savin, best name ever. <laughs> just discovered that that's not an alias, it's her real name. Um, and Leonie is a three-time free birther. Gosh, that's a bit of a mouthful. Three-time free birther. Um, she's also endured the subpar oft abusive care of the NHS maternity system. So she's in a really good position to compare and contrast, as it were. Um, she wrote and delivers the life-altering must-have birth course um, navigating officialdom. She co-hosts her own podcast, Normal Boring Free Birth, with, with Victoria of Free to Birth. And she's just an all-round lovely superstar mama, as far as I can tell. Leonie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rain. What a lovely introduction. And thank you for having me on, talking about my favourite thing in the world, um, apart from my children, um, free birth. I love it. <laughs> lovely disclaimer, just perfectly timed there. <laughs> 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 yeah I'm really pleased to be chatting today and just yeah I think we're probably both in quite an interesting position with you know lots of feet straddling different kind of areas around birth which is interesting so absolutely yeah I've kind of done this um interesting sort of journey from traditional birth keeper to attempting to become a midwife because I felt like if I got in the door I could transform services from within which I think a lot of young idealistic midwives or student midwives think that they can do realizing I can't and the system for those it serves isn't actually broken and they don't want to fix it and then coming mm. back to even more traditional birth keeper in that I don't even really like the word doula anymore um yeah mm. how do you feel about the titles and what have you kind of landed upon in terms of how you self-identify in the birth world oh yeah I've been on a bit of a journey as well I so I first knew so I had my first free birth my son's now seven and a half um so seven and a half years ago and my mind obviously and life was just blown <laughs> wide open and I thought wow that was cool I mean it also wasn't like I just thought well what's you know what's the big deal we'll go more into that perhaps later but my world was definitely blown apart and I thought doesn't everybody have this and I couldn't I couldn't believe I didn't know I had no idea that that wasn't what I did but I didn't know the depth of what that was um, until a few years later so it was actually after the birth of my second child that I um, thought well I'd love to be able to share what I've learned with other people um, and so I was looking into well, what route could I take? What, you know, how do I do that? And thought, right, NHS midwife, you know, <laughs> even though I've chosen not to have them at my birth, isn't that, isn't that the route that all people take? Isn't that just what birth work is? And I very quickly discovered that that was not what it promised to be. And I mean, you said it only a few moments ago that a lot of people join that route to try and change the system from the inside out and I think I very quickly understood that that was never going to happen and I didn't want to fight that particular battle so I've just moved further and further away from from the system I guess I mean I've in in as much as I've put a lot of distance between myself and it you know this big it thing that it is um, and so I was thinking right well I can't be a midwife um, I was actually I wasn't aware of what a doula was um, you know even to have one at the birth when I was pregnant with my first um, 
And I was kind of leaning more towards that, but there was just something in doula that, I mean, I guess the word or the role or what it's come to mean now, because I know obviously the the origins are more around sort of somebody in service, um, which I like. I do like that element of doulaism, but I think for me, and maybe this is a whole other conversation to be having, but doula feels very trendy at the minute and very like, yeah not safe from the system and it feels very affected and influenced and um like it kind of like you need to totally abandon yourself to completely support essentially support the harm that's happening and what I mean by that is it's not that we sit there and watch and go yes I agree with the harm but it's like, I don't know, it's a really fine line, isn't it, between saying I fully support you and I trust you to make your own decisions, but I can't have any of my own. And I feel like a lot of doula trainings, correct me if I'm wrong, please, I'm probably just quite ill-informed around this, but my feeling is that there's a there's a focus on, um, you know, negate yourself in this experience. And so for me... I don't want to bring my own baggage into it, but I do have my own views and my own kind of ethos. And the people that I think are attracted to me are attracted to me because I'm in the free birth world, because I'm not I'm not fighting the fires in the hospital. Like I don't plan to be supporting births in hospital. Like it's just not for me. It's not where I'm best suited to support. And that's okay. And that's come. It's taken me a few years to be able to say that and be okay with it. So I think the 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 term that I'm kind of landing on more is birth keeper. I don't feel 100% about that. Um, it's evolving in short, <laughs> it's evolving. Um, yeah, I feel yeah. similarly, like I couldn't agree more about the whole trendy doula um, sort of like this idea that we are influencing birth culture by being doulas but that actually a lot of doulas are just sort of facilitating the current birth culture actually and not doing it very much change making or influencing at all so yeah I've struggled with the doula term for that same reason and I've landed upon upon birth witness now because I really feel that mm, that's, that's nice you really do like in the birth room is just to witness and it sort of suggests to me that whole idea of just being and not doing very much when you say witness, mm -hmm. that's where I've ended up. But yeah, like you say, it's always evolving. And like I tried for a time only to attend um, births that weren't in the hospital, but I just found that because of the culture and the prevalence for hospital birth, it was just so difficult. And I mm -hmm. came to perhaps just justified me having to return to hospital births by saying that, actually I'm a very useful person to have and it's mm. almost my duty to go there because I can help mm. people who are who have ended up there for, for good or for ill so mm. but I, do, I did kind of feel like that was a bit of a justification on my part and it was and maybe I'll come you know when as it evolves maybe I'll come back to only attending home births again mm. who knows we shall see um but thank you for that very full answer that was great <laughs> yeah you're welcome yeah, and I, I, I immediately realised that 
uh, Leonie and I came up with a few like set questions that I might mm. set questions that I might answer and I've immediately gone off piste so very well done for handling that <laughs> no it's good yeah. I just I love to chat with you it's great nice yeah I like yeah. to keep those um so we'll go back <laughs> to, the, to the path so it's tough to prove because all our data now comes from industrial birth of course but do you have a few choice statistics that you've managed to find in the swathe of information that we now have on safety, neonatal and perinatal outcomes of, of home births and, and three free births? Um, can I be really honest? Yes. No, <laughs> no, I haven't because I think there's a few, like you said at the beginning, um, you know, it is largely from industrialised birth. It's from people who want to be involved in systems, I guess either knowingly or unknowingly are going to be the ones whose data is going to be collected and I think making the choice so often to step outside that means that you're not being recorded I mean unless individual birth workers might be you know collating their own statistics and stuff like that um I I mean on a personal level I don't get on with statistics I don't get on with research my brain just does not work like that I don't hold it doesn't it mean I can I'm intelligent I can read the words and they make sense and the numbers I get it but I just it doesn't stay it doesn't stick in my brain doesn't go deep in my body and you know I read it and then it's gone so and maybe I need to (laughs) improve that so that I can share with people who do find it useful but currently I don't have any statistics around that but what I I do work on is my gut feeling and yeah does that answer your question thank you for that because I think (laughs) it's a really important distinction isn't it like the whole or part of the problem is that birth has been medicalized and pathologized and you know complicated and problematized and I think this whole data-driven research heavy um, philosophy is part of how that happens you know like if you can't prove it with data and measurement and you know um, technological things readings and such like it's not valid but it absolutely is like mm-hmm. you as a as a pregnant person and as a mother you can simply feel in your gut that you don't want vitamin k or simply feel in your gut that your baby doesn't need to be monitored in labor and that should be respected and you shouldn't have to be scrabbling around and going into your neocortical activity to find studies and you know words and yeah it's mm. i think that's one of the main problems I mean, I guess it's also kind of separating out like when you do your learning. So for me, with my, I knew nothing about birth the first time I was preparing for free birth. I just thought birth was in the hospital and had given it no further thought. So a lot of my, I went deep. Like I really was like, right, well, this is a thing that's going to happen. I want to know all about it. So I like fully started studying birth and I did learn some of the statistics. I, that was part of my learning process. in that I took all of that information but then the decision I I make the decisions on what does it feel you know does it feel like the right thing for me and my baby and my family and I think like you say there's so much pressure to be guided and governed by the the readings on a machine and what the numbers in the book say which 
you know, these studies are taken from, yes, perhaps a larger group of people, but I'm not in that study. Like that doesn't apply to me individually. Nobody knows my complete history in as much as I do. And so like, I have to be making that decision independently. And the numbers are just so dry for me. Like it does, I can't feel that. Like I don't, I don't make sense of that. And mm. why, why should we all be boxed into the same way of processing the world and the way it's same way of approaching even just decision making it just doesn't make sense to me and I think there's so much focus on yeah just boxing things in and and collating results and yeah doesn't yeah it's not a one-size-fits-all is it 100% and in the same sense you can almost find a study to back any nonsense up that you'd want to do so Mm -hmm kind of irrelevant and so many of them if you look where how who who funded them yeah yeah it's, it's big yeah. pharma and of course they maybe have an agenda so and also you find the findings that you're looking for often I mean I'm no scientist I'm no medic I should always put that disclaimer actually I think it's important I'm no lawyer blah 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 but um I, I mean, I've got a philosophy degree, if that counts for anything. But I, you know, it, it you you see you see what you want to see, don't you, within your own paradigm? And and so somebody completely different can look at the same study and go, well, that doesn't make sense for me. I see something different, um, and it's just not making space for the nuance. I'm a massive fan of nuance. I love just dissecting things and I think it's so important that we have space to be able to do that which you can't do that in 10 minute appointments within the NHS it's just not possible for anybody like how can you build a relationship and support that finer detailed decision making in a 10 or even an hour long appointment let's be honest like you can't you can't do that it's it's limited definitely useful sometimes use I I don't want to I mean I think I'm sorry just a little side point like I don't think it's ever about all or nothing you know there is a place for these systems and this kind of care but if you are not wanting it then there's a place for that too and that should be supported yeah absolutely um it's reminded putting me in mind of um when I was pregnant with onyx I was sort of really well forced but essentially to engage with mental um health services Mm. and I didn't want to but because well basically he kept continually making appointments for me that he said was a discharge planning meeting and then it would not be one when I arrived he'd he'd start like treating me as it were so Mm. I went to a couple of those before I just said look if you're not going to do as you say I'm not going to engage with you Um, But he sent me a bit of research about how somebody with the particular diagnosis that they've given me, which I flatly refuse and disagree with, Mm. uh, they, you know, they said that they have a lot more of certain negative outcomes in labour and birth. And it was just Mm. Norway. And like, that was one of the good things about having studied um, part of a midwifery degree. There was a module on research and how to analyze research so I was able to just kind of write back say right but look at the sample size and look at the country you know I'm I'm not Norwegian I've not grown up with the Norwegian healthcare system so just yeah leave me alone basically yeah just kind of speaking to what you were talking about 
And also, what about the support? Like, what about the support for somebody with a particular diagnosis or other? Um, I mean, we have that kind of that sort of thing around BMI, don't we? If somebody is landed with um, a BMI number of, you know, high, then their outcomes are different but is that because of their BMI or because of the support if we are approaching somebody with bias it's going to affect the way that we treat them and that is so key in supporting birth isn't it so yeah I don't believe that study is any good no and yes it's reminding me of also this it's like the chicken and egg thing so yeah um, I was talking to a social worker recently who was sort of clutching her pearls and telling me that looked after children have poorer you know all, all different markers actually poorer outcomes in in education and you know thriving in later life and she was kind of using it to try to get me to do things that she wanted and I'm like well hang on surely that means that by virtue of you looking after these children you're not doing a very good job but she had it the other totally the other way mm. so yeah it's kind of and it reminds me of something in the latest or maybe the last or the one one before's Embrace report that said that um, I think it was something like one in five of the women who died in, in labour or six months, I think, is the window after mm. birth. Um, they all had um, interaction with social services, which is a marker for vulnerability. And you kind of think, mm. well, so does that mean social workers are doing a terrible job or a great job? Like I, in my mind, always says that, well, that means that those people are probably being hounded by social services and that social services aren't actually contributing to their well-being or health. But mm. social workers obviously have it the other way, that without them, it would be, be even worse, perhaps. So, Yeah, those fine lines can be really tricky. And I think it's really hard to see in the moment isn't it? it you know hindsight is a is a great thing and we can look back and I often yeah it, it's difficult isn't it to identify those particular things which have been turning points in those particular stories like you know was it the introduction of a social worker would things have been way better without one We'd, but it's certainly like you said a marker of vulnerability and more compassion, more support, good support, not just rubbish support, like actual support for families is really needed. And, you know, social services is, is another huge thing that is massively underfunded, undersupported, understaffed, under, you know, misinformation, misunderstanding of nuance sometimes and I'm not I again feel like I have to do this stupid disclaimer but I'm not saying all midwives are bad I'm not saying all social workers are bad but as a whole when we're dealing with organizations things get lost people get lost this is people that we're talking about and we have to I say we all of us have to do better already than what we're doing and making space for just I don't know it's just so I'm 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 an outsider looking in because I don't work within social services but or even something like the NHS I don't work within these services but the things that we talk about when we strip everything away are just so basic like can we hear what this person is really saying can we approach them with compassion can we 
approach them with an ear to try and understand them instead of trying to correct them. And I'm not talking about cases where there's severe, severe issues, like actual things that need like immediate support with mm. or removal or anything like that. I'm talking about like, you know, on a day to day, how do we connect with people relationship wise? And I think that's what is so missing with when we're dealing with these bigger organizations, institutions, like you can't get under the skin of them, mm. really. Yeah, and like you say, it comes down to the underfunding, the 10 minute appointments, the, uh, you know, this person's only working three days a week and they're expected to yeah. be on a caseload that probably should be two people. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's tough out there. Um, I know that you've, oh, sorry, just one other thing with relation to that. Um, Sarah Hawkins the lovely twin specialist mm. she always she has this great phrase yeah. all the time she's got loads of them actually she's a real kind <laughs> she is always telling clinicians and other you know professionals that she comes into contact with is she sort of goes this is this is these are people it's not a head of broccoli it's a people it's <laughs> not a head of broccoli no, like, yes because like, to them you know it has to be professionalized and regulated and you know they what they're thinking about the workload and the form and the you know all those sort of yeah. structural stuff that they have to get done so of course it's much easier to dehumanize and take all of that other emotional work out because they're already up against it in terms of their workload but yeah I think that's a really good one I'm going to be using that in the future the head yeah definitely that. take that one <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I know from ha um, conversations off off pod um, that you've been mulling over safety in free birth lately, and yeah. as the statistics suggest, um, well, actually, I know you didn't have um, you're not that into suggest uh, statistics, so I'll just do a couple. So it says here that you are more likely to have a natural birth at home, um, that's ninety point six percent, than in a hospital, which is fifty four point four percent. So that is from the maternal and perinatal outcomes by planned place of birth in Australia. So, of course, it's not our population, but sort of similar um, communities, England and Australia. That, so that's one. Um, and what else do we have? Oh, gosh, I've written this in too small a, a font. But um, <laughs> yeah, so from the statistics, um, I think it's safe to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've come to the conclusion that the most risky part likely isn't the birth or the labor or the new or having a newborn baby part. But so what is it? What are the kind of risks that you help mums and families to avoid in your navigating officialdom course? Yeah, um, I don't want to sound blasé when I I feel like giving birth is the easy bit. I don't mean that birth is easy. I mean that it perhaps is more simple than navigating all of the services which surround it so wouldn't it be great if somebody wanted to just give birth you know and not have all of the crap that often surrounds it can I swear yes okay yes. great thank Sorry. you <laughs> blasted pretty well so far with that so yeah, good um, <laughs> so yeah without you know giving birth just without all the stuff that surrounds it wouldn't that be amazing and you know when I th when I think about safety for me that was a massive turning point to free birth in the first place because through my learning about physiological birth um although I don't think I knew that word at that time but um 
normal I'll say normal normal natural birth I know risque gosh um (laughs) throw me in jail um yeah natural but the birth that I wanted my body to just do what it needed to do I knew that I needed to feel safe and that word kept on coming up do you feel safe do you feel safe do you feel safe and that was like a guiding um marker if you like like kind of weigh everything up against and for me what felt the most safe was free birth in our bell tent that we bought specifically um closing that door zipping the door and see you later so that was what felt really really safe and what felt unsafe was engaging with services when I knew that something didn't feel right I knew that I wanted to say no to something but I just couldn't quite do it in person so I'd you know maybe write an email or something like that but I knew that I felt distinctly uncomfortable in those kinds of appointments I knew that I was making choices which were a bit unusual like I don't like the spotlight I don't like sticking out I don't like feeling uncomfortable but there was me even just saying no to some blood tests as it was in my first pregnancy I said yes to basically everything because I didn't know that I could say no to begin with even saying no to some blood tests was like, whoa, this feels really scary. And so what I talk about on my course, I talk about lots of things, but what I talk about on my course is, it's the course I wish I'd done. So I wrote it with that in mind. You know, I've been through this personally three times and not that I know everything, of course I don't, but I I have personal experience of being in those appointments saying I'm gonna free birth and then (laughs) experiencing the reaction. Um, And so I really feel like we can start shifting the perspective um, in terms of how we go into those appointments like, okay, I'm not saying that midwives and doctors aren't experts in what they do because they've got that training. I don't have that. Like that is not my background, but I have my own background and I'm the expert in my own body, in my own life and my own experience. And let's meet, like, let's come into this space together and meet in the middle. I don't mean compromising my beliefs. I just mean just getting rid of this fucking hierarchy of, you know, best. I know nothing. Let me just, you know, lie on the floor and you can just walk on me. Um, like, I just want to get rid of that. And so, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to do yeah, that to go into an appointment it. it is like to go in knowing that I'm I'm a valid person like I am allowed to be in this space as I am and say no like you are offering me a service an offer you can say no to but I know from first-hand experience how really hard that is and it's often not just hard but it's unsafe to say no to some people you might be working with an amazing woman midwife man whoever but they might be having a rough day and they might just have not you know woken up on the wrong side of the bed and some whatever it is you just you just don't know like it's a risk I feel sharing these kinds of controversial things such as saying no to a blood test or free birthing or completely opting out whatever it is is controversial mm-hmm. and we have to be careful I think about picking our battles, about who we say what to and when, why we say it. This is a really important question. Why are you sharing your plans? 
Like, how are you going to share them? Are you going to do that by email? At what point in your pregnancy? So all of these really, you know, and there isn't a formula. There's no magic way of doing that. It's really got to be what feels right for you and your family. Um, and let's, you know, let's avoid social services. That would be really good. But so many families, more and more, I feel, are getting referred because they are saying no to something which is offered because, other people are on a power trip thinking that they know best and that is not okay like it's really it feels like a dangerous thing to be engaging with and I'm speaking from I'm an educated woman I'm white I'm middle class I'm you know I I carry certain privileges I know that and so I know that when I'm in those kinds of appointments, the midwives see me and they are biased in some ways towards me. So I've had a relatively easy ride. I have had a social services referral, coincidentally from a registrar who just didn't understand the concept of not having a midwife at a birth. Should have told me that she referred me, didn't. I got a social worker phone call Um yeah that was that was my experience I mean but then it was dealt with very easily actually it was a 20 minute phone call I agreed to see a health visitor and that was it and I know that for many people and I'm not the one to be talking about this but for many people it's been an absolute nightmare and more and it, it doesn't feel like you can just give birth like if you want to just have your baby in the way that feels safe for you, the birth isn't the isn't the dangerous bit. It's dealing with everybody else's shit around you. Yeah, um, And yeah, so when you were speaking about how it's it would be so great to just come together as an equal, like, you know, I'm the expert on my body and my life. You're the expert in birth and labor, perhaps not even. But, you know, if we want to be kind and give them that. Um what struck me was the question do you actually think midwives and obstetricians are ready to wrestle that control over because I don't oh. no <laughs> no but at least at least if one by one stone by stone we can start changing that narrative from the well from the inside out I guess that's the original thing that we talked about isn't it I think you know that is activism in its own way as well going into those appointments and and just knowing I'm not just going to say yes to you like and that can feel like a massive deal actually in the moment but yeah I don't think they're ready by and large I mean if you are so in the in the in the headspace and the paradigm of <clears throat> birth is dangerous you don't know what you're talking about you haven't studied um how are you ever going <laughs> to approach a woman or birthing person and and say but what do I know what do you think you know I mean, I think I think there are there is a bit of a shift towards it's your body, your choice, that kind of. But I don't believe that that altogether is felt. I think it's often a catchphrase to, um, to be honest, wash their hands of free birthers sometimes. You know, I think it's very difficult and I get it, actually. I think it's very difficult for maybe midwives who have got somebody going, well, I really want a midwife present, but I don't want you to do anything. And they're going, well, what's the point of me being there then? I mean that's irritating in itself but I do get that that kind of gray area might be difficult so I think sometimes when maybe when they know that they're dealing with a free birther and that it's just black and white they might just be like yeah fine go you know go off you go on your head be it sort of thing and it's just a bit easier to 
I think these again these gray areas these nuanced conversations there just isn't the space everything's so tight and held and like yeah there's just like no space for humanness in all of this stuff and yeah that involves relinquishing control over a situation um yeah, yeah. it's interesting to think about like the system as opposed to the individuals that you know uphold that system because yeah like you say yeah. I think it will really depend on midwife to midwife won't it on a, on an individual basis there'll be midwives that absolutely support physiology understand it respect it want women to have it if they wish yeah and there'll be others that actually don't really understand it don't understand why any woman would choose to be so reckless and to mm. and therefore you know it's kind of a lottery as to who you're going to be seen by have at your birth on the day so yeah is like you say it does sound like a really treacherous landscape to be navigating whilst pregnant whilst you know mm. approaching motherhood so yeah it's pretty pretty hairy <laughs> that lottery that lottery that you just spoke about again was another push for me towards free birth and I think it is for many people but um that lottery feels unsafe well it is unsafe it's unpredictable and that is unsafe like not that you can control everything but there's a certain amount which would be good you know like for everything to be variable is just that feels really unsafe for me crazy yeah like you can look at someone and just not get a good vibe off them if that person yeah. is just in the supermarket it doesn't matter but if they come into your labor space it really impacts and we're just leaving that to chance and hoping yeah and I think you know, I think more and more people are hopefully waking up to the fact or learning because I'm not being rude but I think many people don't know that it does affect that it can affect I was watching um <laughs> some program where paramedics you know a day in the life of a paramedic or something like that um and one of them uh, was going to a birth and I thought oh god here we go and um it was really interesting to watch they were lovely people and I think in other situations you know they were very very calm they were very um knowledgeable um they really took charge of a situation before the birth this is they really took charge and it felt like that's what was needed and wanted and then when they came to the birth woman who was at home and she got basically from what I could see got really really scared and I think midwives weren't coming or it was an emergency or something for some reason there weren't any midwives there I think if I remember that right um, anyway they felt like more help was needed in any case they called 999 and paramedics came and obviously we hear these kinds of stories in in home birth <laughs> bless you um, in free birth there was always this kind of like well you know midwives not might not be able to attend anyway so you're gonna have to call the ambulance if you need support so we need to think about well what happens if an ambulance person because they're all so unknown these are just people and they came into this birth space she was really scared this poor woman and they did all the things all right come on get on your back then and you know come on push push yeah well done darling oh, it's so busy and buzzy and yeah, like so they were just so ex excitable and you know it was beautiful I'm sure they don't get to see that many babies being born but the energy in the room I was just like my whole body was just going oh my god and 
she looked in such distress and they seemed completely unaware of that yeah completely they were just like yeah it's a baby and like yeah, I can't imagine you know taking that apart no those big because they're usually ambulance drivers are like big burly and they're in all the green with the huge like yeah. the bag and oh no and that's if they don't report you to social services and if that, that's if they don't tell you the shit about tying a shoelace around the cord and all you know bless them that's you know they need more training <laughs> in some ways but specifically also around social services because I mean, one of the th- I call I did call a midwife in after my third free birth because we wanted to avoid social services because I thought we did all the things to prepare and then it came from an unexpected place. The registrar I wasn't expecting her to report us, and so you know you can do all the things, and then even when somebody comes in in an emergency to support you in a paramedic capacity, then they call fucking social services. And that is on the increase. Like I know somebody locally to me in the in the Midlands that is hopefully going to be moving change in in paramedic training. Where you know that she's seeing a massive increase in paramedics calling social services when there's not a midwife present. There's a doula. It's not even well. I don't know. I don't want to quibble about what a free birth is and isn't. But you know, just that there wasn't a midwife there. That there was only a doula only a doula and this woman she's got a lot of experience she's a very experienced doula like not that that should matter anyway but you know there is a there's just this hype and this real I feel like they're clamping down you know self-notifications going just berserk at the minute like it's really difficult just to have a baby and then that's for people who are trying to do the paperwork not even the people who aren't trying you know it's just block after block after block so yeah that's another thing that I talk about in my course common stumbling blocks in free birth because you can kind of see where it's likely to come up um the home birth risk assessment visit maybe if you're not fully convinced that you want to have a free birth but you want to keep your options open actually that appointment I've noticed is often the one that turns people off and says well actually you behaved really badly in my home I don't want you anywhere near me like so yeah just ways that we can I don't know even just having awareness of what might well happen if you have this appointment or that or if you you know email in a slightly confrontational tone or something you know it's just same old rubbish isn't it you've got to be so careful you've got to be so careful and like battle in a time when you should just be like floating around and being Mm -hmm. but yeah I think you're right we need to be trying to pin these clinicians and services and organizations down to stating the facts yeah free birth is entirely legal because even that they won't do like my local trust i won't even name them most people know where i live anyway and where i'm from um they well they they made they paid lip service to the idea that they would write a short statement the same way gloucester did that says you know free birth legal absolutely but they then took months and months to get it done I wrote it for them and then sent them a re-edit and then they just still just kicked it into the long grass and I don't I don't think it's ever gone up they keep telling me the MVP where I can like continue again and I'm like why I'm not wasting my time on you anymore why would I keep doing that that's the definition of madness (laughs) isn't it in their guidance anyway that they should be telling (laughs) 
people that uh, free I've birth is legal of their documentation and they were very reluctant to to state it mm. on the internet on their website so mm. but I think I love one of the reasons why I love what you're doing is that yes people are so naive and unaware myself included like I had no idea how aggressive and the power that they have to do yeah these things and I also ha had the somewhat I think this is erroneous view that this whole concealing a pregnancy is something that you should avoid and that yeah. the only way to do so is to engage with the system in the in the normal routine way which I think you probably teach better strategies in your course don't you than than simply giving in and going to the appointments yeah this being a being accused of of concealing the pregnancy is weird like I'm sure it happens but I think it's pretty rare you know we're talking quite unusual circumstances and it's not it's not the same thing as having an unassisted pregnancy like it's not or even booking in late because I know there are some safeguarding policies around when you book in when you reveal that you are pregnant whether that's in labour or afterwards when we're talking about to the NHS you know they don't ever put that little caveat in you know when you've told us that you're pregnant because I feel if you have announced your news on social media if you have told your friends and your family if you have been out in your local community, if your local shopkeepers have seen you with a pregnant bump, if you have taken pictures that have got time and date stamps, you're not concealing your pregnancy. Yeah. They just mean if you haven't told us, when are you accessing care? And I get that at the root of all of this, there are some women, people, families that really need the support because there is genuine danger and genuine concerns. But it's just got ludicrous. Like, you're not concealing the pregnancy just because you haven't wanted to go in for antenatal care. Also, you might be receiving care from, you know, more holistic practitioners or somebody else completely away from the NHS. And I feel that it's something that they banned about, you know, don't conceal the pregnancy. It's like, well, OK, let's take a step back. I'm not and I think sometimes being really avert so when um, and this is from my personal experience of dealing with the head of midwifery throughout an unassisted pregnancy and then what I then go and suggest if people want the suggestion um, what you can put in the email if you are going to announce that you exist and that you are planning a free birth um, you know just quoting it back to them I am aware of the legalities surrounding free birth I am not concealing the pregnancy and it should be as simple as that. I think, I mean, this is the other thing as well. And it's, you know, from the flip side, I really can see because, you know, as much as we talk about, hey, midwives, remember you're, you're talking to people. We need to remember that as well. Like we are talking to human beings. All of the human rights stuff that we talk about on the other side also apply to every individual that we come across from, um, yeah, from whichever side it is. And I think it can it, we, we get into kind of fight mode and I know that it's because we need to fight sometimes but also I think a lot of maybe clinicians on the other side often just need a bit of reassurance that you know you and you shouldn't have to justify yourselves necessarily but I think it sometimes goes quite a long way of just keeping things smooth 
not going in with you know confrontation or uh, an argumentative tone but just like I've thought about this you know I shouldn't have to tell you but I'm going to because for me that is not worth the fight like I don't I don't want to but then if you don't know perhaps repercussions and yeah you go in fighting I I get that I just don't personally my approach is I don't want to get people's backs up like I just I'm not down for that I don't want to have an argument I don't want to be walked on but I don't want to have an argument so hi I exist I'm pregnant I'm going to have a free birth I'm aware of the the legalities I'm not concealing the pregnancy I'll call for help if I need it like I'm not like I'm not an idiot I know I can call um I have and it's not about being an idiot sorry I'll take that back I don't mean that I mean like I am capable and I have the resources to you know I do have a phone I am able to do that I'm not in a dangerous situation where I can't even make a phone call for example so just I think sometimes just stating these buzzwords can guard you and keep that protective bubble of you know I've done what I've needed to do in terms of communication now that's dealt with and I can just get on with birthing my baby because that's really what I need to be doing I don't need to be spending so much time and energy on these interactions yeah absolutely and for the clinicians part it allows them to not stress and worry about who this person could be and have they been trafficked and are they in a relationship they've got it in right you're not yeah so yeah that's a really good point thank you for that um, motherhood's just such a trip in so many ways and I think for me at least I I well I didn't need to and I wish I haven't hadn't had to but it has been a huge like the scales falling from my eyes about the level of sort of subjugation and coerce, coercive control that is coming at us from like all angles mm-hmm. um I'm not sure where I was going with that. I think it's just a statement. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, maybe that was it. So I mean, I hope not, but perhaps we're in a place in society and a moment, a historical moment where that is a part of parenthood, you know, like it's it's showing us how to protect you know, how to protect our children and how to protect ourselves and what that requires. And so maybe I'm just trying to put a, like a positive spin on this in some sense, because, yeah, mm. I have to get so bleak about it all. But Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I mean, it's the facts, you know, just keeping it real. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going with that. I just guess, I guess I'm just trying to reassure people that if you are getting this pushback Mm. or worse like it's not because you're foolish or you were naive or you didn't do it right like it's just how we are at the moment it's just how it is at the moment and it's not yeah you could you could have done your course and had a doula to advocate and still be in an absolute mess because absolutely game isn't it and sometimes you win sometimes you lose and you keep strategizing and change tact and you know yeah definitely and that's why I talk about you know navigating services as safely as just say all the things and then it be 
safe but I think something that you touched on just a minute ago about you know the we are we we're preparing for motherhood you know we are mothers in a sense already when we're pregnant and we're going to have big decisions. I mean, vaccinations are probably the next biggest one after that. And then you've got all of the parenting stuff through challenging, you know, two-year-olds, three-year-olds or four-year-olds. And then you've got school to think about. Like you, you're going to have to make decisions as parents. And I think it's really interesting for me to witness and others, I'm sure, when people go in with this approach of oh just with the flow and of course that isn't you're taken on a trip through the hospital most likely if you go with somebody else's flow but when we're not making these active decisions it's interesting like how is that going to play out in parenthood because we have to make decisions for our children and and it's just not straightforward ever and I think when we can get used to that like it's hard like parenting is hard I've had a really hard morning (laughs) like it's hard sometimes and there there isn't a magic formula in parenting either and I think it's just it's good preparation it's also just life like you have to make these decisions and then things unfold and I think it's easy to forget that you know you've had your baby and then but that's the beginning you know that's the start of of the next bit Yeah, you, that's pretty much what I was angling at and you put it way more succinctly than I. But yeah, essentially it's like it sort of preemptively starts to make us take it seriously, this absolute mm. authority that we have to cultivate throughout motherhood and into matrescence yeah. and start now because you've got a lifetime of it to come, so you better start practising. It's a shame that yeah. it seems like services and agencies make it harder not easier and you know undermine it rather than support it but perhaps I'm still trying to see the good perhaps that's yeah well like you said that's like it's been incredibly it's been incredibly liberating just for there is good in it for sure and yeah (laughs) I'm also aware like when I start talking um I don't mean to be negative like so negative and heavy and I don't want to scare people about it I also don't want to lie and I don't want to beat about the bush like it's really hard but it's been incredibly liberating so uh, for me just releasing all those shackles of what I thought you know things should be like boy did free birth blow those open and then it continued and then continued and you know meeting my children for who they are and then yeah we needed to think about vaccinations and schooling and everything and it's just like slowly slowly you talk about the scales being removed yeah definitely and that's good because I was in a bad place like before babies like I wasn't I wasn't seeing not that I'm in a well no I am in a better place now there's always more to do but like thank god for me needing to really just make those active decisions because I was in a very passive state like I was happily just ignorantly living my life and la-di-da but I needed to get real and pregnancy was a really amazing way for me to do that like I could just go along with everything and that's what I did before and I was really ill from doing that but I didn't want to do that because I've got my baby to think about. Like I can't parent if I'm the way that I was before. So the massive shift needed to happen. And I feel like actually only now, like seven and a half years in, 
things are like properly starting to land it's just oh so full-on yeah it's really nice that's lovely actually because that is a positive you're right it slaps you awake you from yeah can't be complacent because it's not just you anymore you know yeah you adore and would die for and do anything for and live for live for forget the live (laughs) um i had um a guest not so long ago nikita stark who is the ah, fish comes to chef, yeah she's trying to well she's she's facilitating midwives moving out of that system staying in the birth world but retraining in a more holistic traditional way um and she wow. was i won't say banging on <laughs> she was banging on about um <laughs> like creating the new and i really liked that so mm. i wonder but it's kind of e- an easy thing to say that you know we need to f- create the new rather than oppose the old but actually we almost have to be doing both at once and so Mm -hmm. how do you see navigating officialdom and the work that you do in that dual role and what are the challenges with you know not being able to just create the new because actually we also have to deal with the fact that the old isn't crumbled and dead yet it's still there and it's still impacting people's lives and people's care Oh, that's a good question. Um, Let me think. So, I mean, what came up immediately was an old favourite of mine of picking your battles and where do we, but an extension of that, where do we put our energy? And I mean that on like a moment by moment basis, like if it's a choice, do we... I, so my kind of how I visualize things is I feel like my course and I, along with others, stand on like the periphery of the old and the new. I'm kind of helping people cross over. So I'm not reaching into the old and going, hey, do you want to come? I'm I'm talking to people who are already considering it. I'm going, this is how you can do it. Should we do it together? I've done it. Let me help you. And I'm not here to convince anybody. If you want it, I can help. If not, that's your choice. And so I feel like it's just a case of slowly, 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 the balance will shift so that enough people are not just fighting the old. They're just walking away from it. it you know, it's like, like for me, it feels quite calm of just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. And, you know, not even looking at it. Mm-hmm. But if you do want to engage, it's, there you know coming back to your why why would you be going to it being very selective you know I've got a particular thing that I need do I definitely need to go back to that old system to get it or are there alternatives um I love that there's lots of talk about yeah new stuff and you know I I I really like connecting with other people net I don't know I was gonna say networking that also feels like but you know talk getting to know people who can who are specialists collaborating there we go but um but also just knowing them so I I want to know more herbalists I want to know more um homeopaths and all of these other people who are specialists in their own things that I can go I've got an issue I need this thing but I don't want to engage in the system because it doesn't give me that so I think um Kemi Johnson said something ages ago about you know we we need to learn how to like reset bones or something I don't know if she's being a bit tongue-in-cheek but you know that kind of idea like let's reclaim that 
why <laughs> why is it only those people who can do that thing but for me it's not about fighting it like I'm not a, I, I'm a bit lazy like I can't be asked to do that I don't want to be fighting <laughs> over there I want I've got enough battles in the new actually so I'm just gonna quietly close that door and just look that way moving away from it and I can help you if you want to do that if I if I'm the person to calmly walk across with you there's a place for people fighting definitely but that's not who I am right now yeah oh thank you perfect answer yeah absolutely I love that and um what what you were talking about with um the learning skills um Mm. as well who's also been a guest on the podcast um, amazing a lot about that she's very into her herbs and essential oils and just knowing Mm. what's around in her she's lucky enough to be in scotland um so she always talks about the old ways being the new ways you know they Mm. are still still here we just need to claim them and re you know yeah reclaim them i'm always amazed of you know been so i've come back to my hometown and i know we've been here three years now but there was a massive chunk of time where i was away and so i've come back to the same kind of places i used to go to as a kid i've been rediscovering them and it always amazes me even now like learning more about my yeah my local area like what is there and i've been like well i've been walking past these bushes for decades i had no idea that there was this plant or that plant there and then what that could do I'm literally walking past this every single day and I've got no idea what this is like this is not okay (laughs) like I need to know and then suddenly I've got this you know a rail a whole trail of medicine that I'm just walking past it's amazing yeah when we just it's that thing removing the scales when we just stop and look it's there it's right there we just need to stop and let ourselves see it I think so yeah gonna go and get me some nettles later <laughs> yeah it was, it, um, it was like that for me when I was in Jamaica and I had very mm. feet with the towards the end of pregnancy and I was googling it and it was cleavers that I needed and yes cleavers all over this this land yeah, so, yeah. Jamaica, so I was like damn it oh. place, of course then you know, each place has its own wonderful um provision yeah absolutely amazing mm. thank you I, I'm conscious that we've managed to speak for 90 minutes which is wonderful yeah. <laughs> thank Anything. you really good I really enjoyed talking to you thank you so much for coming on you're so welcome thank you for having me it's been lovely to talk with you missed it again sometime yeah <laughs> okay. thank you thanks <laughs>